Welcome, everybody. My name is David Irvin, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Sarah Cloutier. And we are just thrilled to be offering these, these podcasts and these conversations called The Physiology of Leadership. And for those of you who know me, I'm, uh, I'm in the leadership development field, and I'm very passionate about understanding the notion of what happens to leaders when we have our own anxiety, when we have our own stress, when we bring unresolved uh, past issues to the leadership. How does that impact a leader? And what we're going to focus on today, uh, Sarah, is the, is the notion of the, the physiology of stress. What actually happens in the body? What happens to the brain? And what is the impact of that? And we'll talk much more next time around the impact of that. I will, we'll talk a little bit about the impact, but I'm just very curious as to what actually is the phenomenon of stress in the body. Hi, David. Hi, everyone. Um, so how stress works is our nervous system is basically our interface between our body and the external environment. And our brain is always looking to keep us safe. That's our brain's primary drive. job is to keep us safe and to keep us alive. So part of the brain called the amygdala is always scanning our environment, looking for potential threats. And if it detects a threat, it sends off an alarm system or an alarm um, signal, which triggers a whole sequence of events throughout the body. And we have something called our autonomic nervous system. And this control system is largely unconscious and it's responsible for regulating all of our body functions like our heart rate, our digestion, our respiratory rate, um, urination, sexual function, all of that. And that system has two branches. So it has the parasympathetic system, which is our rest and relaxation branch and the sympathetic branch. And the sympathetic branch, everybody's probably heard of as the fight or flight or freeze branch. And when the brain detects an, uh, an alarm or a threat, then we move into that, pair or into that sympathetic system and our brain secretes hormones that flood our entire body and get us ready to either fight or flee. And there's significant changes that happen. So our our blood sugar goes up so that we have energetic resources to defend ourselves. Our heart rate increases, our respiratory rate increases. Blood actually gets shunted from our periphery, so from our arms and legs, back to our heart so that we have um, the resources to run. And interestingly, something else that happens is that blood gets shunted from the front of our brain, which is where higher functions um, take place, like planning, organizing, problem solving, and um, social etiquette. And it gets shunted to the back, more primitive part of our brain that's very reactive and reflexive. And the other thing that happens is because all of our resources are dedicated to keeping us alive in this sort of short-term response, background programs that need to be running to keep us well, like our immune function, our reproduction um, system, and our digestive system really get put on hold while we're in that response. 
thank you for explaining that in such simple terms. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it was simple. So it's, I'm assuming that this system is based on an assumption that relaxation in that parasympathetic state needs to, for health, needs to be the default state. And that we go into this stress response as a way of surviving a particular threat that comes up. And then we're meant to have the cycle go back down and stay relaxed. What I'm, what I'm wondering is, and again, we'll talk much more about this in future sessions, but I'm wondering it, it, what happens to the body when that doesn't come back down, where we have continual stress. For, for example, in this day and age, when we have continual balls that we're juggling, we have continual demands from our people in our organization, from our clients, from our customers, from our family, and, and that we can ultimately, I suspect, be in that high uh, sympathetic response longer than we should or longer than we're designed to. And that's got to impact the body. Absolutely. Yeah, you're 100% correct. So our baseline state is the parasympathetic rest and relaxation branch of the nervous system. And from an evolutionary standpoint, the system is amazing. It's supposed to turn on quickly, you know, allow us to run from the mountain lion. And once we're back to safety, turn off right away. And the problem is, when we're constantly in that state, which many of us are because our brain really can't distinguish between a grizzly bear on the trail or being nervous about a, an upcoming meeting that really isn't a massive threat to our, to our health or to our, our life, we end up being stuck in this sympathetic state. And as I said before, our background processes that are absolutely essential to keep us well so our digestive system that allows us to absorb our nutrients from our food, our immune system that allows us to um, not only fight foreign invaders like viruses and bacteria, but also just cleans up our body on a daily basis. So everybody on a daily basis um, has cell breakdown, has cancerous cells growing, and we need our immune system to be working optimally to clean that up in the background. And so when we're constantly in this fight or flight um, response, those background processes just can't happen. So it's, it's one or the other. You're either in rest or relaxation or you're in fight and flight or freeze. And when you're in that second fight or flight response, the other, the other response, the other processes that we need to stay well just can't happen. In addition to that, the changes that allow us to fight or flight, like high blood pressure, high respiratory rate, high blood sugars, in and of themselves are very detrimental over time. So our, our blood vessels aren't meant to maintain that high level of stress for long periods of time. And what happens is you start getting micro damage in the vessels, and that sets us up for heart disease later on. Is it comparable to sitting in a vehicle in neutral with the gas on all the time and you're continually revving the engine and you got nowhere to go. Is that a fair analogy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the bottom line is we're just not meant to be in this state of stress all of the time. And the interesting thing about humans compared to um, a lot of other animals is we can 
we can think about past events that are stressful and we can think about future events that may or may not end up being a threat but just the imagining of those or the remembering can actually trigger this stress response. And so that's something that a lot of other animals don't necessarily have to deal with the same way that we do, but, but our ability to sort of dream and think and remember can tip us into that stress response a lot of the time. So our brain capacity is both a blessing and potentially a curse if we use that to imagine stress in our life absolutely it can we, you can just by thinking can probably send yourself into that sympathetic response you absolutely can so i mean i even you know before we started our first podcast i was a little bit nervous and just you know thinking about that i could feel my heart rate going up i could feel my breathing increase and i really had to take a moment to center myself and calm down my nervous system before we started I had the same experience. So I hadn't sent you a link to this Zoom call. And then I, I panicked for 30 seconds before the call. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, now Sarah's going to think I'm really incompetent. And, that, <laughs> you know, and I had this all imagining. And I was putting myself into, a, into an anxious place. And then you very graciously sent me a text back and said, did I, I said, did I send you a link? And I said, no. So I'll send you a link now. And you said, no worries. And there was a, even in your response, was a calming, had a calming effect on me. This is just a conversation. And yes, could I have been prepared the technology a little better? Yes. But I don't need to get myself into a, into a sympathetic stress response over the fact that I'm perceiving that I'm not meeting my friend's expectation here. Absolutely. And our brain just looks for patterns. So it'll take a situation and, and think about, or not think, but automatically go to patterns that have happened in the past in our lives. And it will, it'll recognize this current situation as potentially threatening based on past experiences, even if you're absolutely 100% safe in the present. And so it can sort of trick us into a stress response without our awareness. So that's where really learning how we operate, how we're programmed, and then how our body feels when we're in these states is, is very helpful to sort of start to hack this response and use it to our advantage. So to bring this into the personal for me, um, I, I would love to hear the, um, the physiology of past stress because, so having been raised with some trauma and having been raised and uh, I, you know, Theo Fleury, the uh, hockey player used to say that uh, if you had parents, you had trauma. So I, you know, we all were raised with some degree of trauma, but frankly, I was raised with parents who brought their own pain into my relation, into their relationship and into our family relationship. Uh, and we, I won't go into the details about that, but there was rage in my parents' relationship. And I was, I believe in retrospect, in looking at it, I believe that I was in that sympathetic response a great deal of time. And when you live with rage, the interesting thing, uh, Sarah, is that it's, it, 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 it could happen once a month, but you live in it all the time because you're always on guard for when the next trauma is going to hit. I always say with rage, it would be far easier if parents could schedule it 
and say, you know, a Friday night, I'm going to go into a violent rage. So you might not want to come home that night or just stay in your room that night. Don't take it personally or protect yourself. And, but rage doesn't work that way. It's impulsive. So it's always on guard. And then I, I think I developed a brain pattern and I want to check this out with you, but it felt like I developed a brain pattern of constant anxiety that I was constantly on guard. And I, and I, I believe that that, that con it, it actually became familiar where I was impatient and controlling when I, when I get that triggered, uh, particularly triggered, but it was almost constant to the point that I didn't even know it was there because it was so normal. Is that a common response to trauma? Absolutely. Um, so trauma is a massive, massive subject and we could probably do, you know, about 20 podcasts on, on trauma alone. Um, we'll devote some to trauma, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because trauma is very common, um, more, more common than we'd like to admit, I think in our society, but there's a couple of things that happen. And I mean, people who have undergone trauma actually have brain changes. So, you know, when we put people into PET scanners and look at how their brain lights up, it's different than people who have not experienced trauma. So your brain starts to react differently. Um, the other piece with your example about the rage is our brain likes um, to be able to predict when things are going to happen. And that element of not being able to predict is incredibly anxiety producing for us. The other thing is just <clears throat> being sort of stuck. So when we go into that fight or flight um, system and we're not able to fight or flight because we're or flee because we're little kids or because we're trapped, then that is incredibly trauma producing for our brain. And what happens is earlier I talked about the amygdala that sort of scans our environment and it, it looks to keep us safe. It can actually get hypersensitized when it's repeatedly exposed to danger and it starts looking for danger and naming danger everywhere. And so it makes sense that because you had that element of, um, you know, being unable to predict when this would happen, you're a little kid. So you really didn't have the ability to do anything about it. You couldn't change your circumstances. You couldn't necessarily help yourself. Your brain starts looking for danger everywhere. And, and naming it. And then you kind of, you try to start to control things to calm down your own response. So your own stress response. So it, it totally makes sense. And the unfortunate part about this is even when we start to recognize it, our brain really likes what's familiar. And so even if you know that it's, it's not necessarily helpful to be in this response, it can take a lot of work and time and, and therapy and support to get comfortable not feeling anxious anymore. Well, I have to tell you that I've been intentionally working with this for probably 20 years because to break these old patterns and I have to be very intentional. I can, I can notice, I mean, my wife and I, we've been married all, uh, how long have we been married? Almost 30 years, 29 years this year. Um, and she has never gone into a rage in the 29 years, but she can look a particular way. She can just turn the same way that an expression that my mother had. And I can go into a, a state of stress because I anticipate, even after all these years, I can anticipate and I have to stop and just recognize, just like I did before this podcast, to recognize 
you know what, it's okay if Sarah's mad at me. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not eight years old. I don't need Sarah's approval. I don't, you know, this is not my, you know, and then when I think of it in terms of my, my wife, I have to consciously remind myself, and we'll, we'll talk in future uh, podcasts about strategies about how to manage this. But I know that I have to be very intentional around acknowledging when I go into that stress response and ask myself, is this actually, a, is this a real, real threat or is it just something that I've made up in my mind? Absolutely. And, and the thing is, when you go into that response, so when Val, who is the sweetest person I've ever met, has, has one of those looks, your brain recognizes it before you even know you know, that she has that look before you're even aware of it, your brain recognizes that and sets off this automatic response. And so then your job is really to recognize when you're moving into that response. So what does that feel like in your body? You know, what thoughts, what feelings do you have? And then correct it. But your, your brain's just doing its job. Your body's doing its job. Its ultimate goal is to keep you safe. But our goal is to realize, you know, when are we safe and when are we not? Recognize that our brain, you know, the the posterior part of our brain that's responsible for this is a very primitive structure. So it hasn't evolved as fast as we have. Um, and so once we know that we can, we can kind of evaluate the situation with our really developed frontal lobes and say, okay, no, there's no danger here. And then employ strategies to calm ourselves down. And I really like how you're framing this, that it's, our brain is not our enemy here. That no. it's really here to help us. And that this is not about pathologizing it. It's just helping us understand what was at one time a survival mechanism gets overused and becomes not helpful to us any longer. Absolutely. And we all develop survival mechanisms as, as children. And our brain becomes programmed almost completely by the age of seven. And I mean, obviously changes can happen later, but the majority of our programming happens very early. And if we don't have awareness, we just move into adulthood, operating on those same programs. And my argument, and this is what we're going to be pursuing in future episodes uh, with this, is that this very much impacts our behavior, it behave, our behavior in families and our behavior in our leadership work. That if we don't work with this and we're not aware of the impact of the stress, it will impact um, it, it, and we'll talk much more about this next time, but it impacts uh, our behavior. Agree? Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent it impacts our behavior. Well, I look forward to getting into this, particularly next time we're going to talk about the impact of unacknowledged stress. Uh, because a lot of us, it becomes familiar. To, I can, and I can speak again from my own experience. It's so familiar that we don't know that we're in stress. I've never talked to a fish about this, but I do understand that, uh, you know, as we say, a fish doesn't know it's wet because it's, it's so much familiar to that environment. I've never actually asked a fish this question, but I, 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 it just makes sense that it be, it, if we're not careful, we can live in so much stress in our brain that we can begin to see that this is normal and that, you know, that has impact on the way that we lead and the way that we live. Absolutely. And I mean, I've gone through the same experience as you. I lived in that sort of chronic stress, anxiety driven mode for a long time until I recognized what was happening. And I see this with my patients all the time. And I think it's just culturally acceptable to be in that mode. <laughs> and it's super bad for our health. It's bad for our families. It's bad for our colleagues. So 
I think of learning to work with this and, and use stress, you know, as, um, and our brain as our friends and uh, optimize that is, is really the goal. And so the, go- the goal for this week would be for our listeners to just simply pay attention. Hey, am I under stress right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and am I, I like this notion of a baseline being relaxed. And what's the difference? What's the difference between going into a sympathetic response or being in a parasympathetic response when we're relaxed? And just start to pay attention in our bodies. Where would it register in our bodies? Where does it register in our thinking? And I think you're probably implying that there's really no stress in the world per se. It's what our brains make up to be a stressful experience. The mountain lion being there isn't, the mountain lion is not there to cause us stress. The mountain lion is just there to do what mountain lions do, which is to, to attack people. And that's a legitimate stress, but the stress is made up in our brain in order to survive. So I'm just really interested uh, in exploring these topics in greater detail. Anything else you want to finish this off with for today? No, I think that's great. I think, you know, for our listeners to spend the week just really settling in their body and, and you know, feeling what's going on and feeling the sensations as they're about to, you know, do a speech or walk into a meeting and then feel what it feels like to just relax on the couch and just start noticing those differences. I think that's really one of the first steps. Can you just leave... Um, our listeners with a little bit of some clues as to how they might begin. We'll get into this in much more detail in further sessions, but in much more detail, or, uh, but I mean, uh, if you could explain, just introduce us to the notion of listening to your body and paying attention to your body. Are there some immediate uh, clues to help us get started with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, everybody's probably heard a little bit about grounding um, or um, sort of this concept of being in the moment, but really recognizing first where you are. So right now I'm in my office, I'm talking to David, I have this warm sweater on, you know, my, my butt's in my chair, my feet are on the ground. That's kind of the start. And then everybody will have a different stress response, but most people have a similar response. And for me, I'll sort of get like a fluttering feeling in my chest and a tightness in my upper, my upper abdominal area. Other people, you know, will get sort of nauseous or feel light and jittery. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to what you feel when you start getting a bit. Uh, yeah, the, uh, my stomach starts to churn. Mm-hmm. Or I start to feel some, uh, some extra acid that's being released in my stomach. I feel it there in my gut. I can also feel it in my shoulders if I start to, or if my shoulders start to lift, I'll yes. feel as though I'm, it's like I'm resisting the a weight that I'm carrying on my shoulders. Yeah, so muscle uh, tension's a big one. Another one that people might not consider is notice when your thinking gets foggy. So, you know, when you're not quite as clear, when you're not as articulate as you'd like to be because that can also be an indication that you're in a stress response. If all of a sudden you just don't have the words or you can't explain yourself. And a lot of people will beat themselves up and say, Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not a good communicator. And maybe not, you know, you might just be in a stress response in that moment. Oh, that's great, Sarah. Well, it's a great start. And I just look forward to exploring these topics in more detail. Yeah, me too. This is so much fun. I love it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week.
Hey everyone, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of the Physiology of Leadership podcast. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care from a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for support on your journey, please seek personalized care from a qualified medical professional.